0: To episode fifty-two of the Carrier's Edge podcast, I am Jane Jazz Rowey. I'm the co-founder of Carrier's Edge and uh, co-creator of the best Fleets to drive for. And with me, as always, is
1: Mark Morrell, other co-founder of Carrier's Edge and other co-creator of best fleets to drive for.
0: See how well we did that this time. This was uh, we uh, this is our introduction for a uh, a, a virtual conference seminar. Uh, so we had to do it in video and ni- well, neither of us could really get out what we do. <laughs> we are. Do we, how many practice. takes? That we Poor practice do. to say yeah.
1: what, what our job is. <laughs>
0: like, who are we? And what's uh, what's the, hmm? and even in the final take, there's still a pause where I'm like, what do I do?
1: <laughs> well, you had a bit of a pause there as well. When did you just I? did it there. What, that is,
0: what is that? Why, why can't I just say who I am? I don't,
1: Because we're at that time of year where we don't even know who we are. That's true. Where it is just a fog. And it's like, where am I? What am I doing? Who am I? <laughs> when am I? Yeah.
0: yeah. What day is it? Yeah. yeah. Every day is Thursday. <laughs> every day. You know, yeah. Sunday, Thursday. Tuesday, not Thursday. Not quite at the weekend. Yeah.
1: You can see that it's coming, but it's not quite there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You wake up on Monday and you're like, wait a minute. Is it Sunday or Monday? Can I sleep? No.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We haven't really had a weekend for quite a while. No,
0: there has been no weekends. No weekends for us. Oh,
1: there's one coming. We're actually going to have a weekend. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Because it's the end of Best Fleet's interviews Mm -hmm. and we can go back to our regular jobs next week and just wait for driver surveys to be completed. And yeah, that's going to be a big wait off the collective shoulders of everyone.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, you actually glossed over the first thing that I wanted to talk about, which is the, uh, this video that we have put together. So we, uh, well, let's talk
0: about the program first. Like what do we do the video for? Okay. okay. Go ahead.
1: See, I'm kind of in a fog too. I'm trying to collect my thoughts. I have a bunch of random words floating around in my head. Uh, So we are doing a breakout session for the Women in Trucking Accelerate conference, the virtual conference. And most of these conferences now, when they go virtual, they have you pre-record the stuff and submit it uh, rather than taking the chance that all of this technology is going to fail at the appointed uh, day and time. So they get all their speakers to send these things in. And in general, it's a really good idea because then they can look at it in advance and if the speaker is absolutely horrible or if it's death by PowerPoint or something like that, they have a little bit of time to send it back and ask for a re-record or ask for tweaks or something. I don't think many of them do based on what I've seen at other conferences. <laughs> <laughs> but in theory, they have that ability. I
0: think, yeah, in theory, so, I don't think anybody's really. Uh,
1: so we're doing a breakout session to talk about the diversity and inclusion index that we discussed on our the last episode here. Uh, this new program that we're doing with women in tracking to evaluate diversity in the tracking industry and try and uh, create more of it to uh, enable more of that and give people a, a guide to uh, having a more inclusive workplace so we're doing a breakout session on that and I said well you know, do we have to be participating in this like, group recorded zoom meeting that you're proposing or can we just do the video ourselves and send it to you and I was sort of not sure what they were gonna say you know are they gonna say no we must have control over it or are they gonna say fine just deal with it so it was the latter it was yes yeah you do all the work just send us something by this date So we're like, okay, this is much better because we have some control over it. And it's always better when you have control over these things and you can do the work yourself. Um, The downside of that is that
0: you have to do all the work.
1: You have to do all the work. (laughs) And when you are artistically inclined as Jane and I are, you're never happy. (laughs) There's always something you want to tweak. So we have uh,
0: apparently what's called artist angst. Yes. Yes.
1: Now we actually shot it rather than doing a recorded zoom thing. We uh, shot video segments of us doing our parts of the presentation and added the slides in. So it's roughly the same as what you would get in a normal session. Just a little bit more focus on the camera. We were able to go into a different place, uh, not sitting at a desk to do it. Mm-hmm. It looks a little bit more like the um the kind of remote segments that you get on TV shows now or news segments where they have an interview people are, with somebody. Yeah. People yeah, are remotely. sitting
0: in their living rooms.
1: Or I guess the talk show people mm-hmm. that were doing it in their living rooms and stuff. Um, and then it had to be all pieced together. So I got to witness uh, firsthand um, something I have seen many times before, but the marvel of having Jane put together something creative and this is my opportunity now to say holy crap watching that from the outside is quite the experience because i don't know anything about editing tools i have a rough idea from watching some videos of internet videos about how to set up a camera and lighting and stuff but i don't know what to do with that footage i don't know how to bring slides in and put the thing all together and she not only learned Adobe Premiere, but produced this beautiful video of, uh, of us making us actually look like we know what we're talking about and know what we're doing here. And it's, I'm going to be very happy for people to see it because it looks really nice and transitions, proper edits. It looks like it was done by somebody who's been working with this tool for years. And I know that you just picked it up like the day we finished the filming You started bringing it in. It's like, okay, now what do I do? Uh, You bring this footage into this tool and it's like, uh, okay, I got to figure out how to put it together. And two days later, there's this finished product. And it's not like it's a two minute video. It's 45 minutes of content or 49 minutes or something like that. So there was the footage that we shot. I also did some interviews with people over Zoom and recorded those, which is very different quality. So that all had to kind of work in the context of the thing, and then re records because as you're putting it together, you realize that oh, this part doesn't flow like it should, so we need to be reshooting it. So, we had our rec room kind of set up. Our family room was sort of set up as this recording area for like four days, and we kept having to get dressed in the same clothes and <laughs> do our hair again. <laughs> you know, I to had to put do on research. makeup
0: like all weekend so that I could yeah. have the same makeup.
1: Yeah. But um, you glossed over it in the beginning, just, oh, we made a video. But no, what you did with that is uh, unbelievable. So I absolutely couldn't do that. And I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised when they see it. um, Because a lot of these sessions, you go to the session and it's hard to pay attention to the content because the quality of the delivery is so garbage. And you kind of lose the first five minutes because you're just kind of getting used to it and sort of lowering your expectations that, okay, I guess the audio is going to be like that. And, oh, I guess this person really is just going to read their mountain of slides. Like, okay. And then you go off and do something else and kind of listen to it in the background. But we didn't want to do that. And I think we've got slides that make a point. Uh, They're not just a mountain of text that we're reading. You've got an interactive exercise. Like in a one-way video, you managed to have an interactive exercise, which I think is fantastic and it really underscores the uh, the main problem that we're trying to address here. So rather than just saying diversity is better, go get more diversity, you start looking at why it is that people fall into these traps. Why do they kind of make these assumptions about different things and sort of all of the, not even historical, but just the societal things that we're all subjected to that lead us to make assumptions about who does what kind of job, and who we should be hiring for different positions. So I think it's going to be very eye-opening for people when they uh, watch it. And uh, for people that participate in the program, it's going to give them a lot to think about. And you close out uh, the end of it by giving people some sample questions to think about and some ways to get started now. So I think it's going to go very well. Now, the problem for us is we finished this and submitted it, but the conference is two weeks from now. So I know. we're just sort of sitting and hoping you know yeah. that the and every time goes you
0: off. and every time you create something there's a lot of stress that goes along with it because you're waiting for the reception mm-hmm. you know you put a lot of work and energy into something and you know I have no idea I'm in it so you know I'm buried mm-hmm. in you know trying to make this audio match up with this and oh my god this is split apart no there's an error here and now I got to render it and what size am I rendering at this uh, rendering is the process where you you take it from just the project to an actual movie.
1: Which a lot of people don't even know is a thing. Rendering? Yeah. You don't just save the file have heard and you're of, done.
0: Yeah. You don't do a save as yeah. <laughs> you save, save as movie. movie. No, you actually have to do something called rendering, which is because you're taking all of you are taking audio, video, and images and or sometimes sound effects because you can have all of these different things layered over each other. Then you have to say, okay mix them all up and produce some, you know, give me a file at the end. And so all animation has to be rendered before you, before you see an animated feature. So rendering has really started with the animation industry where you have to render. Uh, it's basically taking it from like the, the rough version to the finished version. And um, so rendering can take a long time
1: because that's all the math happening to finish yeah, things. So what you is, see when you're building it is just an approximation of what it's going to be. And then yeah, when that's you a good the, explanation. Yeah, when you do the rendering, the computer does all of the math to figure out, okay, what should this be at this point? And so for things like effects and transitions, it smooths out all of those things. And in the 3D animation world, it's filling in the lighting effects and textures and all of those things. make it look real which you never get when you're just roughing it out right uh, because that takes a ton of computing power and so when they're building it uh, you rough it all out and know how it's going to be and you may do a test render of a little bit to make sure that it's going to be okay and then when you do your full render it can take a long time in this case uh, i don't think it took only
0: 45 minutes so it only took the render was 25
1: yeah so that's not too bad but when you're doing 3D animation, it can take days.
0: Well, you also need a really, really good computer. So I have a really fast processor on my computer, so it only took 25 minutes. But if I had had a slower mm-hmm. computer, it could have been two to six hours, depending on how bad it is or how low level the computer is. But I've always had a high graphics, or my computers always have to have good graphics just because I do so many mm-hmm. graphics with my work.
1: Well, and that's an area that has really exploded in probably the last ten or fifteen years is the technology for rendering because all of these video games, they want real time rendering. And mm-hmm. that's why, you know, your different frame rates and quality levels depend on the hardware that you have because what does it take to do that real time rendering?
0: Well, it's funny because I keep looking at your the there's a picture on the wall in the studio that Mark actually rendered a long time ago. Like, when did you do that? It's the guitar. Oh. Your guitar. There's a guitar and then there, it's a band poster because Mark used to play in a band called Street Talk. It's a Street Talk poster, Mark.
1: Oh, that's a photograph.
0: No, but you rendered something in it. My guitar.
1: No, my... Uh,
0: you rendered because it took you like 12 hours oh, to render Oh, that was a different it. poster. Oh, yeah, okay. I thought it was that's what was we that wanted one. to do
1: with this poster. This band poster was originally going to be a 3D rendered guitar with the band laid over top of it, kind of built into the fretboard. That was the idea.
0: Oh, so it's a fail.
1: No, the and and, (laughs) but the animation, the guy who was the graphic person who was doing it, uh, after dithering for weeks, uh, finally said, I can't do it. I don't have enough hardware. I don't have enough memory in my machine to render this thing. So instead, uh, we'll just put a photo of a guitar there and we'll just put your pictures on top of it. And that's what happened. So it has a very cheesy 90s look. And there's like splashes of color in behind that look kind of like, uh, I don't know, birthday decorations or something.
0: No, it Uh, looks like uh, red waves. So maybe the Red Sea parting. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, we shouldn't talk about a visual that no one can see, but I thought that you had done 3D rendering for that.
1: Uh, Not for this one. Oh, okay. Later on, after I left that band and I went to work at Apple, uh, when I had access to all these computers and I was working on the night shift and nobody was doing anything with them, I would do experiments with 3D animation and I would leave it to render overnight. And then I would come back in and tweak it and uh, have a look at the And that was product. a
0: still picture.
1: Yes, that was just a single still. Yeah. This was not even a moving picture because... So yeah, if you think about it,
0: it's like, you know, back in the 50s when the same processor that we have in our phone, we took up an entire room. Yeah. If you wanted to render... A 3D image, like a, just a still image. You were leaving the render, like you were doing this. Yeah, at eight hours. Yeah, for eight hours. Yeah, and I so I left at
1: midnight, and uh, the, the day shift way. guy came in at eight a.m. and uh, he would save the file for me and uh, close down the program, and then do his job. And then I would pick <laughs> it up at night. And by eleven o'clock at night, when it started to get pretty dead, uh, I would go back to doing uh, animation experiments, or it wasn't even animation; it was 3D. Uh, 3D graphics um, while kind of waiting for calls and there was no email back then because there was no internet so it was just phone support and when the calls got a little quiet then uh, we didn't have to do much we could poke around and play with the hardware and play with the applications because that was part of the job of knowing all of that stuff so
0: so there were oh, I guess that's right you would have not gotten email nope. support
1: there was no uh, there was there was yeah. internal email Uh, I think they were using QuickMail. Yeah,
0: QuickMail. Oh my God, that's uh, such an old Mac product.
1: Corporate uh, email system, but there was no internet for it to connect to. Uh, Finally, very at the end, very much just like the last month I was there, uh, they got access. There was a way that we could send internet email to people, Uh, but you had to go through three different systems in order to do it, and it was a real pain. Yeah, and you never got anything really back. Like, I don't know where the return messages came to, but uh, you could send something out. <laughs> there you go. <laughs>
0: Into the void. Into the you...
1: void. And then call your friend to see if they actually got it. Defeating the whole purpose. <laughs> well,
0: you know what? That was what it was like. Everybody would call each other to see if they got yeah. gotten the email. And it's like, yeah, you sent me the email. Yeah. But um, thank you for for uh, saying that. about. So
1: me. back to the to the wit video. Yeah. Yes. Jane did a kick-ass job and Thank it's you. going to be an awesome video. Uh, I think it's going to be eye-opening for people. Uh, even though the program doesn't actually open for applications until next March, it is I think it's a little good. bit of a stirring idea and an unsettling concept for some people that we wanted to give them time to get used to the idea and start thinking about it and collecting their thoughts and really starting to evaluate what they are actually doing. So that's really what this presentation is about is here's the problem. Here's how we're going to try and do something about it. And here's what you can do to get started now, because maybe you are doing more than you think you are.
0: And that's the same with Best Fleets. So it's the same premise as Best Fleets is that you can't really um, figure out where you need to go until you take stock of what you're Mm -hmm. doing now. And I think the whole industry, the whole trucking industry is sort of in that boat where they're like okay I don't you know I feel like everybody's accepted but you know what are we doing and is it enough or should we be doing something different or am I doing something badly and I think there's a lot of reticence just because it's hard to deal with it because you know the the feeling that you might be doing something wrong or inadvertently hurting people is i think that's in everybody's psyche it's like oh my god we were talking about it um last night at dinner with our daughter who uh we were talking about uh saturday morning tv that we had in the 80s or not in not in the 80s 70s. like in the 70s yeah. and um what and it was I, I don't know if anybody remembers this but rocket robin hood And uh, Hercules is the worst, the worst cartoons ever created there. But they were all you had to watch, you know, if and actually I think they were on weekday mornings, but they were the only cartoons. And so if you were a child who was looking for something on TV, that was what you watched because you watched it because that's that was it. There was no other news or Sesame Street. And if you were too old for Sesame Street, then you'd be watching Rocket Robin Hood or Rocket Robin Hood would be on before Sesame Street, something like that. And so we started talking about how how back in that in the day when we were um, when we were watching those cartoons, there was a lot of racism in cartoons. Mm-hmm. It was tons of ra- it was just complete, full on racist images. Um, Bugs Bunny, uh, total uh, like you look at them now, like they're not on the air now. Yeah, but if it, you know, if you think about what you used to see. Uh, blackface was was all the time. Like their Elmer Fudd, I think was was one for blackface, um, and definitely uh, First Nations, Native Americans, like that was the complete, oh, like really stereotypical. Um, we don't; those aren't aired anymore. And we were telling her that there are even worse ones that were <laughs> were done in World War II with the Japanese and how those people were depicted, and and it just was was nasty. And so there are these, and this is kind of what I was talking about in the video: is th- that we have all this baggage, complete baggage that you're not even you're not even conscious of in your psyche. You don't know, and and people have. You know, they may or may not be conscious of it, but I think there's some guilt in there and there's some uncertainty about how to go about fixing it because it's huge. Mm-hmm. It's a huge like it's society. It's it's not just you as a person and whether you are accepting or not accepting. That's not the question. The question is, what do we do about as as a an industry or as a society society to start turning the ship so that the the things that we did in the past? are not coloring what we do now as much as they do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think part of the reason that people are sort of nervous about that is they're aware that these things used to be happening and you know, now they're sort of awake to that and trying to avoid it. But you also wonder how much more is there that I don't know about yet? You know, what other things am I doing inadvertently or without really thinking about it um, that are a problem? And so people kind of get nervous about being evaluated. When we first were talking about this idea, there was a lot of concern about, well, are we going to be evaluated on what we're doing and what if we don't do well and all of that kind of thing. Yeah. Does
0: that mean you're a racist sexist company? Yeah. No, it just means that there are places you're not doing anything that you could be doing something just like best fleets. There are places, it doesn't mean you're a bad company. It just means that you're, you know, there are places where there are gaps.
1: And one of the things that we'll be looking for here is really what are the things that are working? What are the ideas that people have that are working well that we can share? Because that's something that we found with best fleets. If we start judging people, they just get defensive. They don't want to participate and nothing happens, nothing improves, Mm -hmm. but we stay away from that and just say, Hey, these things are working for these people and In terms of scoring, well, I think we can all agree that A is better than B in this particular case. And these guys are doing A, so they're going to get a higher score on it. And it's not something that's really that difficult. You could be doing A as well. So talk to them about how they're doing it. They're happy to share their ideas. Make your own version of A. You go and do A plus and see what happens from there. And I'm looking forward to seeing... It'll be a year or two before we start to see that cycle playing out with the diversity program. But uh, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what comes up, what we find, uh, what is actually out there, what things are working for people, and how are other fleets able to take that and build on it.
0: Because they definitely will.
1: Oh, we know they will for sure.
0: And I think it's important to know that making a mistake is not... An issue. It doesn't hurt you in best fleets. It's not going to hurt you in the diversity index either. I was talking to I was doing an interview with a fleet that I don't even remember who it was. And they were saying that um, they had changed something. And I could tell they had they had done one program and it wasn't working. So they switched it to a new program. And they were really concerned. I could tell during the interview they were very concerned, and they were sort of trying to downplay the thing that they had done, that they had changed because they thought it was a mistake, and they had, um, they had fixed it, but they still had the mistake, and they thought that they were going to be dinged on that mistake in the scoring. And um, and I was like, no, you know, actually, that's better because mm-hmm. you tried something, saw that it wasn't working made a decision about why it wasn't working, and then tried something new that is now working. That is progress. That is how you make progress. Well, that is the
1: definition of continuous improvement. Yeah. It's not about we're doing this and it's perfect and we're never changing it yet. Those companies actually never do very well. The ones that do well are the ones that try stuff. And sometimes those efforts don't pay off. Sometimes those experiments fail. What's important is that you're actually trying it. You're looking at it and saying, okay, well, what can we do here? Okay, well, let's try this. And then you're evaluating it and saying, yeah, it didn't actually work. Okay, well, now we're going to stop it. And I've had a couple of those fleets as well. And that sort of, that segs nicely into talking about the uh, uh, the fog that we've, uh, we're just coming to the end of with the Best Fleets interviews and all of the things that people are doing. But I've had a couple of people this year that have had things that are obviously changes from past years because mm-hmm. we can see all the past information, we can see um, what they were doing. And when they've got things that are materially different, we can ask them about that. You know, why did you change this? What prompted you to do something different? Especially if they're doing, or they were doing something that's sort of considered standard in the industry and they've stopped doing it. That's the ones where I go like, okay, so why did you stop doing this? And I've had people in the past that had uh, committees and stopped having committees or, They had particular uh, setup of their scorecard or performance program and they've made adjustments and changed things or they stopped measuring things. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, somebody saying that they had stopped measuring idle time um, on their scorecards, stopped measuring drivers on the idle time. And I was like, well, that seems like a pretty standard thing that everybody's paying attention to. So why did you stop doing it? And the answer was very simply that while drivers felt that they're being scored twice on the same thing because that factors into MPG. And they're already measuring MPG overall. So why break out idling separately? You know, we're sort of being scored the same thing. Getting, twice. Dinged
0: twice. getting dinged
1: twice. And it doesn't make sense. It would be better to have that, that spot on the scorecard used for something else. And then the drivers, as it turns out, suggested something the company wasn't even thinking of, which was cleanliness of the trailers. And so Mm -hmm. they were being measured on cleanliness of trailers uh, and it worked better. So that kind of stuff is really interesting. We find somebody who's changed something. Yes, the failed experiments are often more instructive for us than the things that are just going swimmingly.
0: And if you and if you stop doing something because it's not working and you replace it with something else, that's pretty much like that's full marks i mean you're trying that's
1: how you make a great workplace yeah by listening to that feedback listening to the drivers taking their suggestions and making adjustments as necessary
0: so i guess the message the overall message is try something try something don't worry about failure or success try something that you think is going to meet the needs of your of your organization and meet the needs of your drivers or whoever whoever else it is try something little fire a bullet And see how it lands, and then go from there.
1: Well, that's an excellent analogy, which uh, comes from uh, "Great by Choice," excellent management book. They talk about firing bullets before cannonballs, and the the concept is that you fire bullets, which are sort of low risk, virtual bullets. Yeah, not (laughs) this is or metaphorical.
0: Metaphorical. So the idea is you have
1: these small, low risk experiments, low cost, low risk experiments that you use to calibrate what you need to do. And only when you've figured out exactly what it is that needs to happen, or they talk about uh, really getting your aim exactly right, getting your targeting precise, that's when you fire that metaphorical cannonball, which is the large uh, thrust, the big investment, the riskier thing, the, big, the bigger um, uh, effort because you have much more confidence that it's going to succeed. People that just go for the big thing, you know, this go big or go home as a starting point, it often can sink the company. And also, disastrous.
0: if you're going to, and I think a lot of people had this experience with ELDs, if you just wait to the last minute and throw an ELD at everybody.
1: And do it on every truck in a month.
0: Yeah, it's going to... I pretty much guaranteed that if it's not a complete failure, that everybody's going to be really stressed for a really long time. Yeah. And so, you know, the, op- the other option is to do it small, do it gradually. And it's the same thing with any kind of a program, including diversity. You know, look and see what you've got. Do something small. See how it goes. Make it bigger if it's working. If it isn't working or if you get feedback that, you know, like this is not... This is not, this is something you should probably avoid, then stop doing it. Like, don't make a big deal about it. Just move on. And people will see continuous improvement and they will want to be part of that more. And then we've seen that with best fleets, you know, as more companies are starting to realize that they need to start thinking about their human resources or their human capital. We're seeing more buy-in to you know, the process, because it's a nasty process. It can, well, especially the first time. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of first timers this year.
1: We did. When we had a record number of
0: uh, nominations. nominations,
1: that means a lot of people that have never been involved before. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you and I kind of split a lot of those first timers.
0: Yeah, I don't think I've only, I've only talked to two repeat people, I think.
1: I think I might've done two or three.
0: Yeah. Not and it's many. tough to do the interview too, because you you're basically... Uh, like a lot of the time I'm asking questions about every single question. (laughs) And he's like, what about this? What about this? What about this? It's um, very rare that someone can actually go in and fill in that questionnaire completely the first time it's, you have to take, it's a lot of work. You have to take a lot of effort.
1: Well, and that's something that tells us a lot about the company. And I had a a LinkedIn article about this last week. And I think we've talked about it on here over the years, about all the things we learn about the company before they, even get to that interview stage. Mm-hmm. And if there's one person who's trying to do the whole questionnaire on their own, we can tell, and it doesn't reflect that well generally because it's incomplete answers or sometimes it's just completely wrong answers.
0: Or yeah, or blank. Yeah, like they, blank. they have, well, they, you can't submit it without answering the questions, but they don't put an answer in. They just basically repeat the question. And so, you know, I've had a couple where it's like, oh, you didn't answer the question. At all? Yeah. <laughs> can you can you answer the question? Yeah. So uh, that's always that's always but the, rough. Yeah, the
1: first timers are are tough. They're not going to. Yeah. If you're going to do well on this the first time, you've got to have the whole team together. Mm-hmm. You've got to do some planning. Go to our webinar or watch the recording of the webinar. Read the guides that we put together. And the smarter companies also talk to somebody who's been through it before. Yes. And go through that. Experience. Find
0: someone to talk to yeah. about it and commiserate. With about or all get the tips
1: on like how to get that organized and get it together,
0: and uh, I think one of the biggest things is don't wait.
1: Yeah, don't wait you're not doing
0: end. you're not doing that questionnaire in two days. You're just well, not,
1: and that's some of the ones that you and I have both seen this week. Is people that you know on Monday the questionnaire was fourteen percent finished. Mm-hmm. And there's a hundred and ten questions on that thing. You're not finishing it in an afternoon.
0: Well, there are about five questions that you have to get other people to help you with yeah. it. You know, you're just not answering the turnover question. You're not answering that without getting data from somebody. The um,
1: percentage of payroll that's yeah. contributed to a retirement plan like that. You have to go to accounting for that. Yeah. And like safety needs to be involved and the shop needs to be involved on in the maintenance questions.
0: And I think it's, um, I was making a comment um, the other day, about um, how people pay more attention to their pet policy than they do about preventing harassment.
1: (laughs) That was a very astute observation that a lot of the times the the question about how do you, uh, it's effectively how do you protect your people uh, from harassment, but it's worded to be more broadly, uh, more of an open question, more broadly worded so that it's uh, how do you ensure that drivers are not... uh, contributing to or subjected to inappropriate, hostile, or toxic work environments? That's a very, very open question, which could mean how do you ensure your drivers aren't creating problems and could also mean how do you protect your drivers and make sure they're not victimized? And most people only answer one part of it. They'll talk about how they prevent drivers from causing problems, which is sort of policies, discipline, that kind of thing. Uh, but everybody says the same thing in that side of it. You know, we have zero tolerance. We have a policy against this, yeah. and we have zero tolerance.
0: Zero tolerance and policy is the main answer. And sometimes it's not even a sentence. It's just a, a fragment of a sentence saying policy. And but then, and the questions are very close together. So I, that's why I noticed it is mm-hmm. because I keep looking down. I'm uh, the harassment question is like two questions above the pet question, and I would go down to the pet question, which is in all of this detail. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you can have a maximum of two pets of 75 pounds, and you have to have this, then this, and this, this documentation. And it was like, wow, that was a full and complete sentence. Mm -hmm. And so you're more concerned about pet hair than you are about people actually being harassed or victimized or, you know, something else or or, well, or being a harasser.
1: And the answer that comes back that I know just sends you around the bend is, well, we've never had an issue. We've never had a complaint.
0: <gasps> oh, my God. I Which hate that. Which
1: really just means, you know, you've never had anybody speak up. Mm-hmm. It's guaranteed people have had problems.
0: Oh, yeah. And open door policy does not. <laughs> is not. It is not the answer. Because if you have a problem, if you have an issue where you don't think you're safe, and you don't feel comfortable talking to um, your manager or you think your manager is buddies with all of the top executives. So, you know, you're just going to put your job in jeopardy if you say anything and or there's other factors. And if if the only solution that you have is to, oh, well, you can go and talk to anybody who's an open door policy. No one's going to do that. Yeah. And I've said this for many, many years is that. Just because you've never had a problem doesn't mean that there wasn't a problem.
1: It doesn't mean a problem didn't happen yeah. there. It just means you're not aware of it. Go
0: and look at your turnover. Yeah. And you know, people will lie. And this and we ask this about, you know, have you investigated why people leave your company? Yeah. And it's and amazing people how say you
1: leave to go to a local job. Yeah. I don't believe that for a second.
0: I don't think anybody believes it. I think this is what they say. Jobs. And I completely understand that you can only you can only report what people say you can't say oh well they really left for this or they really left for that but there are other clues in the Mm -hmm. whole questionnaire that will tell you why people are leaving even if you have great driver satisfaction but you have high turnover so how are you how are you
1: yeah how are those
0: yeah how are you aligning those two and you really and i think if you if you do have high turnover, I don't think you should be blaming the driver.
1: Yeah,
0: there's something. are just saying,
1: oh well, they're going to a better job down the road, or they're going to a local job. Yeah, you know, why were they even looking?
0: Yeah, and you know, yeah, I, I, I just think that the idea of open door policy is 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 a very dangerous one because, and actually, I had an interview with someone who said, you know. You want to make sure that the, when the driver starts complaining, that you do something about it. And I'm like, hang on, why is the driver going to start complaining? Yeah. What like, whoa! Don't you want to prevent the driver from ever complaining at all, rather than respond to it quickly? I mean, the mm. responding to it quickly is fine, but you want to do that preventative measure yeah, preventing first. Preventing
1: it in the first place is yeah the ideal.
0: If you think about a driver complaining, like a uh, a light going on in your truck. Mm and some sort of alert i can't think of remember the right name for it but mm-hmm. you know an indicator light or yeah. y- you know some of the oil level is low you're not you would prefer that that never happens you would prefer that your maintenance program is going to make it so that light never goes on or that light goes on the least possible times and you always want to get that that instance of the lights going on lower and lower and lower that's a good maintenance program
1: that's a great analogy but
0: th- think yeah. about that from the driver point of view if the driver complaining is the red light why aren't you trying to prevent that red light yeah. way before it even happens through preventative maintenance for your people Oh, that's preventative maintenance for your people
1: well you know what's funny is you're just saying that and i love that analogy and we will be exploring this and there'll be an article on it or something. I
0: but think you should go on the Best Fleets presentation.
1: Yeah, but it reminded me that the very first, I think, or one of the first presentations that I did in this industry, I'm going to say it was 2007... Uh, two thousand six, two thousand seven, somewhere in that time frame. Oh, I remember
0: that. It was the worst over the
1: road (laughs) at at the recruiting or retention conference here.
0: And there was a there was a video of it. It was no,
1: no, no. It was after that one. There was no video of this one. Okay, but the title was "Maintenance isn't just for trucks," and it was about Mm. how you have to maintain your people. The same thing that you do with trucks in terms of preventative maintenance sort of that scheduled maintenance and being ready to uh, be supporting people and uh, minimizing breakdowns and all that other stuff. All of that applies to people the same way. So you're talking about exactly like that. You've got to be maintaining it and polishing it and uh, taking care of it and making sure that the
0: and inspecting parts,
1: it, inspecting well, okay, it. Okay, that
0: are. that could be taken wrong. So inspecting it as a, in terms of a let's make sure that there's nothing obviously wrong with it. No
1: physical day. inspections.
0: No physical inspections. That's yeah. yeah that kind of wouldn't go well with the harassment thing. But yeah. you get the general sense. Yeah,
1: and, and you know, following the analogy, the worn parts are replaced beca- before they become a problem. So things that aren't really working out in part of the job or in somebody's experience at the company get resolved and get replaced before they turn into problems. So you never have that red indicator light coming on.
0: And I, you know, I would hazard a guess that trying to increase diversity in your organization is probably going to lead to people being unhappy. You think? Yeah, I do. Why? I don't think all the people are going to be unhappy, but I think it's change. I think it's just Mm -hmm. like, you know, you introduce ELDs, you introduce, you know, you have some diversity program that is, you know, like if you if you have a whole staff that is um, white and basically say white and that your only diversity is really some female truck drivers, but they're all white, too. But if you we have start
1: Americans and British and Russian people,
0: yeah, like if you have variations of white, that's not really, that's not really the same thing. But if you start introducing, you know, Muslim drivers mm. who don't want to haul certain, like don't want to haul alcohol, or you know, want to have certain, want to have certain amount of time off or various things, when you start actually mixing. Mixing culturals or culturals, you know, when there's cultural differences, our true diversity is the ability for those two cultures to exist side by side without, you know, and have uh, plans for both of them to thrive.
1: Yeah. And take the best of each so that they can both grow.
0: Right. If you just say everybody's welcome. And then just make sure, you know, but they have to basically adhere to what the company's dominant culture is. That's not diversity Mm -hmm. because you're not you're not incorporating those differences that really make diversity powerful, which is the idea that the more differences you have, the more friction there is. And the better the more friction you have, the better the decision making is. And therefore, at the end of it, you become more profitable and things are more successful. So that's kind of how that's supposed to happen, but you need that friction. So if you just try and say, no, we are this kind of company and everybody who comes into this company has to be exactly the same, but we welcome everyone, Mm -hmm. that's not going to work for you. So people are going to be unhappy.
1: Yeah, there's certainly going to be change management required to understand that there's going to be new things. Uh, Some of the old things that maybe weren't working out so well are going to be removed. And there is going to be some friction, but that friction leads to a better outcome.
0: Mm -hmm. And as long as people understand that short-term pain, long-term gain, and it's the same with introducing electronic things or introducing technology. Even I had a conversation with somebody who was talking about automatics, how people were so against automatics. (laughs) And come on, really? But they were like there were people who wouldn't join a company because they had automatics. And then, you know, when they try it, then they realize, oh, oh, I like this. Can I have one? Can I have another one? I don't want to drive in. I don't want to go back. So it's going to be the same thing with um, company culture. You're going to have some stuff be stirred up. But if you think about it like the change that gets things stirred up for technology changes, it's the same thing. Yep. You you have to handle it the same way. You basically introduce it in a small way, get some buy-in, let it grow.
1: Yeah. Well, that yeah reminds me of uh, a part of our uh, diversity video that I had sort of roughed out and never ended up putting in my section of it because I didn't find a place where it worked was my own experiences with diversity and that friction and the headaches that come <laughs> from that. And I have said... Said this before that we have a very diverse uh, workforce, and certainly, you know, Jane and I uh, have very different backgrounds. And she sees lots of things that I don't see, uh, and thinks about things in very different ways. And I've got a couple of people like that that are constantly on me about stuff, seeing things that I don't see, prioritizing things that I don't really care about, and they drive me nuts. Uh, they drive me crazy with the why, 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 or do this, don't, you know, stop doing that. You've got to change this, got to change that. And I have said, yes, they drive me crazy every day. And I have told them to never stop doing that because the outcome is so much better. There's so many things that I would never have seen, so many problems that I just would not have even noticed were it not for these people bringing them up, were it not for these different perspectives coming in and saying, well, you know that doesn't really work when you do it that way. And I'm like, what? I've been doing it that way. It's fine. <laughs> and that's the only response there is, of course. <laughs> what? I will stop that. That's how I do it. And well,
0: no, you don't actually say those words, but the expression on your face is that. Yes. I can't,
1: I can't do that facial expression on a podcast, but yes, there's, but that, a, there's a,
0: there's a facial expression that a particular
1: is time, yeah. kind of exasperated exhalation that happens.
0: We don't have time for that now. Why are you talking to me about that now?
1: My stuff, my stuff, my stuff.
0: Yeah. I I have problems, you know. Yeah. And you're like, well, if we change this, then we can prevent all these problems from happening down the road. Don't we want to do that? But we don't have time. And it's like, well, we're going to make time. Yes. Except I'm more at that point in the conversation. I'm like, well, we're going to make time. So.
1: No. And actually, you don't even do that. You just, fine. Fine. And stomp out. And I know what that means. And it's I coming mean, back. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, that means that I've lost. And I should just give up at that point.
0: Oh, come on. Stop uh, making it sound like you're so henpecked.
1: I am so henpecked. Yeah,
0: that's the, that's the, that's the, oh, poor me. I'm just going to have to give bullied. in. At, yeah. Bullied by all of the these smart, white strong man. women around me. Yeah. Yes. Poor soul.
1: Well, this is why I have said, don't ever stop doing it. Yes. Not that there's any option for you to stop doing it. not that any of you would.
0: Well, and this is why it's good to have diversity in leadership, man. Absolutely. I you know, if I was not a leader in this company, there's tons of things that wouldn't happen, including best ways to drive for. For sure. It, because Mark didn't think of it. Yeah. It didn't, you know, he he produced it, but at the at the beginning, but he certainly didn't think of it and wouldn't have thought of it.
1: No, I'm not the idea guy for stuff like that.
0: My thought process is always how do I prevent this from happening again? I do not want this to happen. Yeah. How do I stop this it from happening? I don't like this and I don't want it ever to happen again. And I did that, you know, raising the kids, you know, I was always doing that. And I think that's where I honed it was that like, I don't want this to happen again. How do I prevent it?
1: Well, the other side of that is you see things that other people don't really notice. You make connections that people don't make. So the best fleets example, we came into trucking and people are groaning about driver shortage, driver shortage, driver shortage, and not really doing much other than groaning about driver shortage. And then you look at the fortune best companies to work for, and there's no trucking companies on there. There's nobody even close to the industry. And you're like, well, hang on. If these trucking people want more drivers to come into the industry, they need to be doing a better job of marketing. And getting on a best companies to work for list is a great way to attract people to your industry and to the company. And
0: it's a proven method.
1: Yeah. We saw this during the dot com. explosion. Oh, yeah. And
0: everybody but, wanted to be on. those. But lists. You look at these
1: two things and you're like, well, hang on. This is the problem that everybody wants to solve. Here's the solution that everybody's ignoring. And so you come in to me and you're like, we need to do something about this. And drop the thing. There's no trucking companies on this fortune list. We need to do something about that. And like dropped it and then left and went back to your normal work. And it was like such an obvious observation after the fact, but nobody else was thinking it. Obviously, nobody was paying attention beforehand. Nobody was thinking about that beforehand. And once you pointed it out, it's like, yeah, yeah. Why isn't trucking recognizing the good employers and having those stories to talk about? So, the Best Fleets program was born from that. And it seems very obvious that if you want people to come into the industry, you got to highlight the good parts of being in the industry. And this, I'm sorry to say it, but this trucking moves a lot of freight. It's not a very compelling argument. No. Without trucking, the freight would stop. Well, yeah, without a lot of things, the freight would stop. It's not really distinct. Mm-hmm. And the people that are motivated by that are already here. So how do you get the people that aren't motivated by that? You got to have different stories. And through Best Fleets, I think we have collected some different stories. We have found things like may not occur to people that you can take your pet with you. You're going to get paid to see the country and you can have a pet. Or take a spouse with you and have a pretty interesting experience there.
0: And if you want to be involved in technology, that's a great place to be. Yeah. I mean, the tech, the tech, uh, the stuff that is happening in the technical world that is at the forefront is transportation. Yes. It is everything to do with transportation it is autonomous vehicles, it's a satellite systems, it's a communication systems, it's all of these things, even cybersecurity. Like you can be interested in so many different technical fields and have a career in trucking. And you're not and no one's even thinking about that. Everybody is just like, Oh, no, because we move America forward. Or we if you if a truck didn't bring it, you know, if you got have it, a truck brought it. Well, yeah, but we are interconnected. Our society is interconnected. Without a if you if one part stops, a lot of things stop, a lot of people are affected. And so you can't just say, "Oh, it's only because of trucks that we have a society," which is kind of the message. It is look at the different things that you can do here. Look yeah. at look at the look at the amount of interesting opportunities that exist here because this is uncharted territory and there is nothing like uncharted territory to really draw younger people.
1: Well, you made a a point there about the autonomous vehicles and that's, I I think, something that really is noteworthy because the industry has sort of had kind of gripes about the amount of publicity around self-driving trucks and, oh, the self-driving trucks aren't coming anytime soon and we get, get the media to stop talking about it. But the flip side of that is it's bringing a lot of attention to the industry and it's going to attract a lot of people that are interested in that kind of thing. Yeah. The truck may drive itself, but there's still going to be opportunities to be involved. And along the way, the truck is not going to go, it's not going to go from doing nothing to complete autonomous driving immediately. In five going minutes. To be in stages, yeah. Right. There's going to be drives itself some of the time and then you take over. So people that are interested in that are more likely to kind of check out the industry than they would have been five years ago. Five years ago, nobody was saying, oh, you know what, trucking is where the technology is. Now well, maybe five years ago because it was just starting. But certainly in the last couple of years, people are like, yeah, you know what? There's a lot of technology in trucking and those those big trucks moving themselves, that's kind of cool. I wanna wanna look
0: into that more. And when you have more uh, so if you look at the vendors that have shown up, like, you know, keep trucking, or um, what's another startup that has, or Workhound is um, uh, technology that's related to the industry, or. Um, Idelic. Yes, Idealic. Uh So, all of those people who are now involved in trucking who weren't before. Mm-hmm. Like these are people who have decided that they are interested in the technology of trucking and interested in that, in the platforms and the support systems and how it can work. Mm-hmm. And they are in the industry. They are working, you know, to try and move with the industry. They're not just, you know, flashing the pants. All of those people now know the industry and can talk about the industry and they have family and Mm -hmm. they have friends who will then know about the industry. And maybe all of these tech people are not necessarily going to work for you as a driver. Maybe they'll work in your back office or your, you know, on your cybersecurity systems or, you know, on your marketing programs, because technology and marketing are really going hand in hand now. But all of those people that they are connected to are possible employees for you. So in embracing where people might be and like just get off the if a truck brought it or if you have it, a truck brought it or, you know, this message of trucking is this noble profession that is just greater than everything else in the universe. That's not what is sticking with people. What is sticking with people are the more basic, you know, attraction as the oh, this is cool. I wouldn't mind doing this. And
1: oh, there are actually some good jobs here.
0: There exactly, are some jobs. and you know, if you start making the the driver job a little bit more attractive in terms of steady pay, some opportunity for growth, so maybe you own your own truck, or maybe you can start doing different types of loads. The ability to travel with family, so having rider policies, pet policies—that's something we got to add as rider policies. Um, you know, making that the package more than a you get this cents per mile and you get this cents per mile plus extras and blah blah blah. Start thinking about it as a what does this package look like if you take all of the different parts of it and and talk about a lifestyle. Rather than saying, great lifestyle. Well, what is the lifestyle? Do you want to see the world? Do you want to do something else? Like start talking about the driver job a little bit differently because you can. You have the you have uh, the freedom to do that. And that's something that you could do like shoot a bullet and mm-hmm. see what happens and see, you know, if you start talking to uh, high school kids or college kids. Mm hmm. And, you know, put it that way about how, you know, you know what you can do. And you can do this for five years, see the country, and then you can go off and do something else. Yeah. Like start actually talking about driving as not necessarily a career choice. It is a. It's not
1: something forever. It's something for, yeah, 10 years. Yeah.
0: People don't go to work for McDonald's and think that they're going to have a a career. Some people do. Um, But. I think people
1: discover that they can have one and end up. End up there, moving up through the ladder, but uh, no, they don't start there thinking, "Yep, man, my lifelong uh, obsession is working at McDonald's, and I hope to retire from McDonald's." No, they're like, "Okay, this will do for now."
0: Yeah, and I think people look at trucking as, "Yeah, this will do for now."
1: Now, uh, trucking
0: and make the most out of that.
1: Well, yeah, recognizing that it's not like McDonald's because you really need a couple of years to commit to it to learn how to do it properly. You probably need the schooling and two to three years on the road to really get experience and learn the skills properly. But if you get 10 years out of somebody and uh, the first three years are that educational part, well, that's pretty good. There's a lot there for the industry. So yeah, I think those are uh, very good observations. But you're talking about the tech people in the industry sharing their experiences with their family. And uh, sort of magnifying it out from there. And really what I heard was, they'll tell two friends and they'll tell two friends and so on and so on.
0: It's, that's true. The old, the old, this is a shampoo commercial from the 70s.
1: Fabergé Organics.
0: Oh, was it? Yes. Is that what it He'll was? You'll tell two friends oh, and they'll yeah. tell two friends. I never used it. It didn't work. My friends didn't tell me. But yeah, I, and this is kind of your role in life is to pick apart my ideas that all just come out in this big jumble in the stream of consciousness. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you for clarifying my ramblings. Well, but I have had that in my head, that whole, you know, people understand what trucking is. Yeah. You know, you don't need to keep telling people that the grocery stores will not be stocked. We know. Mm -hmm. Tell us something we don't know.
1: Yep. And that is a fabulous place to end.
0: Awesome. Yes. Okay. Well, um, with that, uh, please, if you are interested, check out the Women in Trucking Accelerate Show and um, and our session that'll be November tenth and eleventh.
1: I think it's the eleventh. We're on the first day in the afternoon.
0: Okay. Um, well, it's online if you look it up, and. Um, You know, best of luck to all the best fleets participants, and uh, I look forward to the first week of December when we're going to start scoring. And uh, yeah,
1: thanks for listening.
0: Thank you. Have a good day.